The following content contains adult subject matter, including descriptions of suicide, and is intended for adult consumption only. It may not be suitable for all audiences, therefore discretion is advised. It's been rainy in Los Angeles these days, and I was feeling awfully nostalgic the other day. So I put on one of those 2000s pop radio stations on Spotify. After a while, Justin Bieber's song Baby came on, and I thought, wow, I've not heard this song in literally so long. So I decided to go onto YouTube and look up the music video. Number one, that has so many views, it's crazy. But what I wound up finding in the search was peculiar, to say the least. Loey, bestie, best friend, are you bringing me a Justin Bieber conspiracy episode right now? I was certainly trying to. I won't pretend to you that it was not the plan. However, this entire rabbit hole goes way deeper than the beeps. Because what I found was a video called Justin Bieber Baby, full backmasking satanic backwards song. My first thought was, Justin Bieber, satanic, tell me more, what's the tea? My second thought was, um, wait, what? what's backmasking? It's not as dirty as you think, babe. <laughs> it's not as dirty as you think. Backmasking is a technique in recording where you record something normally, like a lyric or a piece of music, and then place it backwards in a song. Okay, yes, that. So when I found this entire conspiracy around Baby by Justin Bieber in general, I found out that people believe when you play baby backwards, Justin says, acknowledge my lord, lord, he's here, I'm the evil one, satanic new world, new world, new world. Listen, while I would genuinely love a Justin Bieber conspiracy theory episode, I found out pretty quickly that this is a hoax. However, I also found that back in the 1980s, there was a huge global backmasking panic where people claimed to find evil satanic messages hidden in, like, all pop music. Loey, I know exactly what you're talking about. This is all part of something called the satanic panic, which honestly is, like, kind of gender. Like, my gender is satanic panic. <laughs> it's a I've panic. never heard a more apt <laughs> description. I feel like we need to talk about this. Eleanor, my bestie, my love, let's do this and take over the world. Replacing everybody with robots. Viva la dead internet. Wait, what? Welcome to Internet Urban Legends, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Loey, your friendly neighborhood true believer, and if you play anything I say backwards, you will hear the sound of three raccoons in a trench coat screaming, which is my true identity. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't even dispute it. I know you so well. <laughs> and I am Eleanor, perpetually stubborn skeptic. I think anything I say played backwards would inherently have more wisdom than anything I say you know, plain jade. So hey, give it a go. <laughs> Together, we are the Gruesome Twosome, and this is Internet Urban Legends, where we dive deep into the darkest corners of the internet. We might find the answers we're looking for. We might scare ourselves into staying up all night. But one thing is for sure, I am so happy to have you, you in particular, along for this backmasking ride. Oh There's my no God. way to say it without just chills up the spine. It's a fascinating, fascinating theory because... I have heard of this before. I didn't know it had an actual name. Number one, I think we both heard the term backmasking. We were like, huh? Mm -hmm. 
back masking is on YouTube. Mm. And then looking further into it, it's kind of like crazy the things that people think are hiding in plain sight and music. So today, we'll be diving into the mysterious, bizarre, horrifying, and cryptic world of backmasking and music. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Like Eleanor said earlier, backmasking is a recording technique where any kind of message is recorded backwards onto a track that is meant to be played forward, you know, like most tracks are. Over the past seven decades or so, artists have used backmasking for a number of reasons, whether it's artistic, comedic, or satiric. And the technique has also been used to censor words or phrases for clean releases of otherwise explicit songs. However, the idea of playing music in reverse has been around for almost as long as the ability to actually record music. In 1877, Thomas Edison stated that if you play a piece of recorded music backwards, it was, quote, melodious in many cases, making a brief trend of people spinning their record players backwards just to hear what it sounded like. Sounds about right. You hear something like that and you're like, oh, well, now I want to know, like, what does this music sound like backwards? It's like the equivalent of realizing you could wear your dress backwards or something and just taking it for a little spin, a little stroll, seeing if it looks better. I was going to say it's like those TikToks where it'll be like, you can't touch your pinky finger with your thumb and like you should try it and I'll always try it. And then the next slide will be like, you're a dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) And it gets me every time. It's actually just like somebody hid the phrase, you are a dumbass. But it's in plain sight. That makes it worse. (laughs) (laughs) But it was the occultist Alistair Crowley, once referred to as the wickedest man in the world, who was responsible for casting backmasking in a menacing light. Alistair told his followers to train their minds to work backwards. To do this, they would write backwards, watch films backwards, even talk backwards, and listen to recorded music backwards. Apparently, the theory was that this would strengthen the person's will. I think it would just really be confusing and not enjoyable. (laughs) I have to agree with you there, Bestie, and most people did too. It wasn't until 20 years after Aleister Crowley died that backmasking, which up until this point was a fringe concept, would make its way into the mainstream and like in the most mainstream way possible with none other than the Beatles. In 1966, the Beatles released their album Revolver, which was praised for being a forward, pun intended, thinking piece of rock music and solidified their roles as musical innovators. But when they released their single Paperback Writer, it had a B-side titled Rain, which featured a short segment of vocals and music recorded in reverse, a.k.a. backmasking. The lyrics themselves were tame. There is no Satan here. But once fans discovered that there was a backwards hidden message, the fandom immediately got to work, seeking out other hidden messages in the music. 
And a few years later, the first major instance of outrage caused by backmasking started with Paul is Dead. Do you know the Paul is Dead urban legend? Wait, no, I don't know anything about this. Okay, so this began when thousands of young Americans, mostly college students, spread a story that there were backmasked messages hidden in recent Beatles songs that claimed that Paul McCartney had in fact died and had been replaced with a lookalike, a la Avril is Dead. Wait, what? No, I had heard that conspiracy theory. I didn't know it originated from this, though. Mm -hmm. Ooh, oh, that's weird. Russ Gibb, a radio DJ in Detroit, accidentally started this legend on October 12th of 1969. A mysterious caller told him to put on the Beatles' White Album and play the intro from Revolution 9 backwards. When Gibb tried it on the air, he heard the words, Turn me on, dead man. Gibb dug further. At the end of Strawberry Fields Forever, it sounded like John said, I buried Paul. Immediately, the story of this phone call spread through word of mouth to fans all over the world. Soon, like a bad game of telephone, the story became very specific and said that the backwards messages were hiding a grim truth. Paul McCartney got killed in a car crash back in 1966 and the band replaced him with an imposter. Somehow, they kept Paul's death a secret, replaced him with a lookalike, then dropped the hints in the records about the cover-up scam. More than 50 years later, the Paul is Dead legend remains one of the weirdest and most famous of all-time music conspiracy theories. If you search for the Beatles online today, it won't take you long to find further theories about Paul McCartney secretly dying. And all of the theories started due to backmasking. A funny side note, though, this has been going on for obviously like decades now. And as far back as 1974, somebody brought up this legend to Paul himself in a Rolling Stone interview. And Paul responded, someone from the office rang me up and said, look, Paul, you're dead. And I said, oh, I I don't agree with that. (laughs) This was far from the last time that backmasking would capture the imagination of people from all over the world. Because just over a decade after the Paul is Dead hoax began, the chips would all fall into place for one of the craziest widespread urban legends in the world. This was the birth of the Satanic Panic. And right at the forefront of the panic, Satanic messages allegedly hidden in rock music. Up next, we'll be talking about the birth of the Satanic Panic and how backmasking played a major role in the fiasco. Hi, listeners. I'm Vanessa Richardson, host of Serial Killers. Like many of you, I'm fascinated by the darker side of humanity. What causes someone to develop such deadly desires and why they decide to act on them? For the past six years, I've been able to explore these curiosities weekly, tapping into the mental states of the world's most notorious killers, examining their backgrounds and habits, searching for answers. If you haven't had a chance to check out our show, there's truly no better time to dive in. With hundreds of episodes to binge and new ones released weekly, Serial Killers is the perfect podcast for any avid true crime fan. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Serial Killers. Listen for free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. So first, let's add a few definitions to set the scene. By the late 1970s, something called the New Christian Right began to emerge in America. This was an organized movement by religious leaders to create activist groups and political action committees. The goal was to defend what they saw as traditional cultural and social values against, quote, a godless society that had replaced firm moral standards with a system of relativism, end quote. In short, it was a rejection of the more liberal attitudes and politics of the 70s and 80s. There's a lot more to this movement, but for the sake of this story, we're going to focus only on the very simple messaging that this movement focused on, good versus evil. To the new Christian right, God is good and Satan is evil. Therefore, anybody associating with Satan in any capacity is also evil. This mindset directly led to something known as the Satanic Panic. The Satanic Panic was a moral panic centered around over 12,000 unsubstantiated cases of Satanic ritual abuse that started in the United States in the 1980s, before spreading throughout the world by the late 1990s. The panic originated in 1980 with the publication of a book named Michelle Remembers, which made countless lurid claims about satanic ritual abuse involving a girl named Michelle Smith. This book was a hit because it was released just months before a huge conspiracy swept the media's attention. There were allegations that daycare centers were a front for a global satanic cult of the wealthy and powerful elite, doing what people often think people in the wealthy and powerful elite are prone to do, abducting children for human sacrifices, pornography, and sex work. If that all sounds familiar, that's because the satanic panic is considered to be the true predecessor to QAnon today. Almost every aspect of the alleged ritual abuse is controversial, however, because no evidence was ever found for the more than 12,000 documented accusations. That's only a small part of the satanic panic, too. Not only were there allegations that daycare centers housed cults, there were also media reports that the game Dungeons & Dragons was a recruitment tool for Satanists, and most importantly for this story a widespread belief that heavy metal music was an instrument of the devil. That's right, heavy metal music was alleged to be a, quote, recruitment tool for the Satanists to lure innocent youth into their coven. But this recruitment wasn't necessarily done directly. They were sneakier. They were more discreet. Instead, it was believed that these bands were backmasking satanic messages to subconsciously affect the youth of America. What an agenda. The belief was so widespread that churches across the nation hosted record-burning parties for parents and families to burn any rock records they owned, or in some cases, bought just to burn, just to participate. Wow. Honestly, (laughs) if that's not Twitter right now. (laughs) (laughs) Buying the record to burn it is very special, actually. I decided my hobby today is to be angry over something I don't care about, so... (laughs) In 1982, there was such a gathering in Huntersville, North Carolina, where one pastor said he believed that Satan was, quote, 
possessing the singers and manipulating their voices so that subliminally implanted backwards messages could be placed on the record to destroy the youth of America. I can't stress enough that this was like an actual massive deal in the United States of America. Think almost like modern day witch hunts. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. But for Satanists and through music. It's been said that if you were alive in the 80s, the media coverage surrounding allegations of satanic activity were completely unavoidable, so everybody knows about this. If you watch Stranger Things, there's even a reference to the Dungeons and Dragons moral panic in season four. After a huge number of court cases and a huge raise in profile against backmasking nationally, a number of religious leaders started spreading the word about how rock music could corrupt the youth of America. Oh, yeah, baby, we are reaching that era of the United States. Backmasking became the topic of sermons, seminars, and books everywhere, starting with Jacob Aranza's alarmingly successful book, Backward Masking Unmasked, in 1983. But there are two men in particular, named Dan and Steve Peters, aka the Peters Brothers, who were for sure the biggest opponents of rock and roll. Between 1984 and 1985, these dudes published three books about the damaging effects of rock music. They also appeared on numerous radio and TV news programs, including CBS Evening News and ABC's Nightline. These two men were single-handedly keeping the idea of satanic backmasking in rock music alive. And then the phenomenon peaked in 1990, when the most notorious story surrounding backmasking occurred. That story? Two families sued the British heavy metal band Judas Priest, alleging that they were responsible for the suicide of a teenage fan. Back in December of 1985, after a long day of drinking, two teenage boys went into a park in Sparks, Nevada, and shot themselves in an alleged suicide pact. One of the boys, Ray Belknap, died at the scene, but the other boy, James Vance, survived. Shortly after, James wrote a strange letter to Ray's mom, saying he believed that, quote, alcohol and heavy metal music, such as Judas Priest, led us to be mesmerized. And this is where the story gets wild. Families of James and Ray filed a civil suit in Reno, Nevada in 1988, alleging that there were hidden messages in songs by Judas Priest that purportedly promoted suicidal ideation. But the family's attorneys took it a step further, they claimed the boys' actions were actually the result of subliminal messages. According to the suit, if you play Judas Priest's song, Better By You, Better Than Me, backwards, you hear countless cries of, quote, do it. The lawyers claimed that the subliminal message of do it became lodged in the boys' minds and directly contributed to the decision to take their own lives. Other songs, like White Heat, Red Hot, were said to have a backwards message that stated, fuck the Lord, fuck all of you, and another song, Stained Class, includes the message, Sing My Evil Spirit. So this is all kind of an insane strategy if you ask me. But if you want evidence of just how warped the country was in the face of the satanic panic, let's look at how the district judge overseeing this case viewed the idea of satanic backmasking. Judge Jerry Carr Whitehead said he actually agreed with the family's attorneys and ruled that backmasking is not protected under the First Amendment. He believed that subliminal messages, by their very nature, manipulate the behavior of listeners without their knowledge. 
Furthermore, he said that people are unable to protect themselves from how manipulative subliminal messages are, and therefore, backmasked messages violate an individual's right to privacy. Let this sink in for a minute. A district judge set the precedent that unintentionally backmasked audio is not covered under your own constitutional rights. Thankfully, after a month-long trial, Judge Whitehead eventually ruled in favor of the defendants, Judas Priest and CBS Records. In his decision, Judge Whitehead claimed that subliminal and backmasked messages were present on certain songs, but it wasn't clear that they were inserted intentionally by the band or the record label. That subliminal command, do it, that was determined to be a mix between lead singer Rob Halford exhaling with a specific note played on an electric guitar. So basically, a giant coincidence. Mm -hmm. Although he ruled in favor of the defendants, Judge Whitehead declined to dismiss the case, stating that, quote, it is unknown what future information, research, and technology will bring to this field of subliminals. After years of sensationalized and unverified claims about just how bad occult activity was in America, the public seemed to be suffering from something new altogether, that being satanic fatigue. Most people had grown tired of the anti-rock rhetoric and heavy-handed morality of these activists. The public also thought it was extremely hypocritical for evangelists to preach morality while a number of scandals rocked the new Christian right in the late 80s and early 90s. In the modern age, conspiracy theorists have been able to spread the word of satanic sex cults even faster via the internet. Although backmasking is now widely considered more of like a cute novelty or just something interesting you might stumble upon from time to time, it still pops up in the tinfoil hat territory occasionally, such as when there were rumors of backwards satanic messages in Lady Gaga's music. Or, remember at the top of the episode, those rumors that there are satanic messages in Justin Bieber's baby. That was a hell of a lot of information we just threw at you guys and at ourselves. <laughs> really and truly a bit of a music lesson that I thoroughly enjoyed learning more about. I did not know that the satanic panic was this. Like, I didn't know that backmasking was what caused it. That it ended up going to, like, high court. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I thought it was just, like, this really evangelical kind of, like, time in history where everyone was hyper-religious and focused on good versus evil, but I certainly mm -hmm. didn't know it was because of rock music. Because of heavy metal music. Wow. Yeah, and I think, like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Mm. There definitely are rock bands from that era that included backmasking in their music. Sure, but I think yeah. it was more of a response to the controversy, to the outrage. It kind of became part of the identity of the music because of society. We live in a society. Rather than, I think, being something that was worth organically freaking out about in the first right. place. Like bands or record labels actively trying to harm people through weird subliminal messaging as opposed to, this is a weird thing that's going on. Let's do it as a point of rebellion or something, you know? And the research, the information that Judge Whitehead mentioned earlier on, it thus far seems to point to the fact that maybe we aren't as susceptible to things as we think we are. Mm, uh, so something yeah. like a backwards message played in the song, I don't know if there's any research that would suggest that that could lead you to, like, really do something serious. It is interesting, though, 
people really had to start thinking about that possibility. Like, can your brain comprehend a message even if it's backwards? Feels very uh, MK Ultra. Feels very like mind control, <laughs> you does. know, like brainwashing. If we've ever been <laughs> affected by backmasking in any kind of music, I think of anything, it probably has just influenced me to take a nap or something like that. Like there is like no <laughs> massive part in my life where I'm like, yes, I was brainwashed by Poker Face by Lady Gaga or something like that. Alternatively, I think every mistake I've ever made in my life is the result of you know some of the because it couldn't be me. It couldn't be you because you're perfect and how could you know? It couldn't be me. Why would I ever make a mistake if not from some ephemeral outside influence? <laughs> What do you guys think about this episode? Or did you listen to it backwards to hear if we had any subliminal messages for you? I'm really curious to hear what you guys think about the satanic panic and it all being caused by backmasking in music. Let us know all of our social media what you thought of today's episode by using hashtag gruesome twosome. We would love to hear from you. Thank you all so much for listening. We are once again your hosts, Loie and Eleanor, also known as the Gruesome Twosome, and we have loved this deep dive into the world of internet urban legends with all of you. You can find all episodes of the podcast, Internet Urban Legends, for free exclusively on Spotify. Don't forget to follow the podcast so we can continue bringing you a new disturbing mystery each and every week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Loeybug and at Snitchery and support our show by following at Parcast on Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. Stay gruesome, friends. Internet Urban Legends is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler from Parcast, Slash Management, and Ed Simpson, Fanny Baudry, and Leah Sutherland from Wheelhouse DNA. Sound design by Ron Shapiro with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. It is produced by Jonathan Ratliff, Gemma Waters, John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Chelsea Parker, and is associate produced by Gitu Mehra and Tracy Levy. Research and script writing provided by Jed Bookout. And we're your hosts, Loie Lane and Eleanor Barnes, a.k.a. The Gruesome Twosome. <laughs>